Hi, I'm Lisa Smith Henderson, and I'm your host for the podcast, Alma Am I Racist? And you can find us at almaamiracist.com. We are a pro-Black, anti-racist podcast trying to bring light and uh, get whites educated as to what racism really is and the disease of denial that surrounds racism. So that's a perfect introduction to my guest today, Deacon Kenneth Radcliffe. Now he's a permanent deacon. He serves in the Archdiocese of New York. He's a trained substance abuse addiction counselor. He's a certified recovery coach. He's a specialist in relapse prevention and he's a founder of the Isaiah Project. And not only that, but the Criminal Just Us Committee. Now, the goal of the Isaiah Project, and you can find it at theisaiahproject.name, and it informs and educates all kinds of different groups, churches, mosques, synagogues, all about substance misuse, alcohol and drug addiction, and those diseases or mental illnesses that people can recover from, and I'm actually one of them. I've been in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction for almost 35 years. So I am just delighted to have someone in our midst who's a specialist in these things. Welcome Deacon Radcliffe. Hi, well, it's a pleasure being invited. Well, thank you. And, you know, I kind of stumbled across your book accidentally because in several of my podcasts, I've referred to racism as a disease that's like alcoholism because there's so much denial. My effort is to try to uncover those blind spots and to come out of the denial. So when I mentioned this, I was looking for pictures to go with Uh, alcoholism and racism, and your book popped up. And I thought, this is the most God thing I've ever seen. It's like, okay, this is perfect. And then I was able to buy the book and get a hold of you. And the book is called The Disease of Racism, Applying Alcoholics Anonymous Principles to the Disease of Racism. Excellent book, Deacon Radcliffe. It was so enlightening and made me think about things in a way I never even expected to. Tell me what made you want to write this book. Well, actually, the book, it's really based on a paper that I did. Many years ago, I was uh, employed at the Volunteers of America. I started out as a driver. And I was also a chaplain in New York City Department of Correction. I was working really two jobs. And that, which is another story. And actually, my supervisor, the late uh, Kathleen Moran, introduced me to a set on alcoholism given by uh, Westchester County. I found it very fascinating, the disease that they talk about alcoholism. And the first time it says it's a disease, you know, it's a disease. You didn't cause it. You can't cure it. You can't control it. And neither can the other person. So I found it very fascinating because I've been around alcoholics all my life. Many of the men in the airport shelter, they were all there because of alcoholism or drugs or some sort of mental illness. And uh, so I I said, wow, that's fascinating. So when the Westchester County came up with a program to uh, give instructions on alcoholism, as a matter of fact, OASIS, the Organization of Substance Abuse uh, Agency in New York, started giving their council seminars on alcoholism. 
And they said it would be necessary if you wanted to be one of the areas of, if you wanted to be a case manager. So that's what happened. I went in with the idea of becoming uh, a case manager, but also to help me in two things. One, helping the men in the Air Volunteers of, of America Airport Shelter. And I was also a chaplain, New York City Department of Correction. And I said, it's interesting information. And I said, I knew it would help me in my ministry but also would help me too, because my life was affected by uh, many people who had alcohol or drugs. So you might say I was surrounded by it. So I wound up going to a, a Al-Anon. I found myself in an Al-Anon meeting one day. And I mean, I was suffering. I was in pain. I mean, you know, the people in my life, I said, well, isn't my love enough to, to cause them to change? Uh, I was doing those usual things that we hear. Marking the bottles. I even went so far as going to the liquor store and tell us, listen, if this person comes in wanting to buy this, say you ran out of it, you know, so I'm talking about control. So when I went in this room, all the people did not look like me. As a matter of fact, Lisa, they all look mostly like you men and women. But what really got me was the fact that when I walked in the room, no one looked at me as if to say, you might be in the wrong place. Or no, none of the women reached for their handbags. And the men didn't look around as if to say the next exit or anything. And I sat down. It was one of welcome. And then when they started talking, like I said, they didn't look like me. But I recognized the pain, the hurt, the anger, right. the low self-esteem. And for me, that was like, and I always use this expression. When I came into that room, it was like sinking into a hot bath after an exhausting day or somebody taking a shower because now they take showers more than they think. And I remember my body saying, ah, this was the place for me. And what I heard was, it's a disease. You didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it, and neither can the other person. And that started my journey. And they said, you do a 90 and 90 and so forth. As I began to go about my work and I see the guys and so forth. One of the things that was qualification to get a certificate in that program, you had to do a paper. You had to do a term paper. So call it a God incident or a moment. I said, wow, I think, why not? If alcohol, if, if the principles can have worked for me as a participant, and has worked for Dr. Bob and Bill W. and Lois, that is how the paper came to be. Applying Alcoholics Anonymous wow. Principles to the Disease of Racism. That became my paper. And as a result, I went on to finish it up in 1994. And it was about educating people on the disease. Well, it's beautiful. And that's the story. Uh, and I think- Thank uh, you. You know, when I first saw the title, I thought it was, now, and this is before I'd read the book, just when I saw the title, I thought, oh, this is for white people to learn how to recover from racism. As I read the book, I realized those principles could be applied. A friend of mine who's in recovery said, oh, but this is bad because it makes white alcoholics sound like we're racist because alcoholism is a disease and racism. And I said, I don't think that was the premise. And I said, but I will ask Deacon Radcliffe that question. So as I read the book, I was able to put that aside and see, correct me if I've got this wrong, but the way I look at it is this book is for 
people who were affected by racism and using the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous to recover from the disease of racism? I would say primarily, yes. Okay, primarily for the victims of racism. Okay. However, it's for any person, especially uh, because what I am, I'm about education, motivation, and advocacy for change. Okay, as a matter, and the first thing I'll tell all of your listeners who might be listening to the podcast, just simply repeat, repeat after me. Okay. Hello, my name is Ken. Racism is a disease. I did not cause it, I cannot cure it, I cannot control it, and neither can they. However, it can be arrested, pun intended, it can be treated, okay? So that's what even the person who is white, I say so-called white, because that's an invention that didn't come into, but that's another, that's later on in this podcast. But I want anyone who's listening to this program, this podcast, to repeat after me again, racism is a disease. I did not cause it. I cannot cure it. I cannot control it. And neither can they. But now, it can be that, arrested. It can be treated. Okay. And treated. It can be treated. Okay. Now, everybody's talking about racism, everybody. But I bet if you were to ask anybody, Give me a de- definition of racism. You get as many definitions as you already know. So in the book, even the person who may consider himself white, I have this. So allow me to read this in the book. I use a various, um, I use the various terminologies on schizophrenia, scientific, and preceding the paragraph. I contend that racism is not segregation. It is not discrimination. It is not prejudice or bias. By themselves, these terms can be described, clarify or enhance situation. For example, boys and girls are sometimes segregated in certain religious institutions. He or she has discriminating tastes. He or she has a bias against grapes with seeds. The judge was prejudicial prejudicial in his proceedings. However, when these terms are combined, used, implemented, and made into law, then racial discrimination, racial segregation, racial bigotry, racial bias become tools for economic, political, social exploitation, and oppression solely for the gain and benefit of the dominant group in power. Racism as practiced by the dominating group, however, is systemic. It is ongoing. Racism is a group dynamic. The members of the dominating group participate, contribute, receive financial rewards, benefits of a false belief and assumption of racial superiority that gives them the right to rule over other human beings. And that is the definition of racism. Because you're looking at racism as an overarching, a systemic. Systemic. 
exactly. not just one person having prejudice, bigotry, uh, bad ideas, treating other people wrong. It is the entire system. And also what I'm hearing you talk about, Deacon Radcliffe, is that what we've come to know as white privilege. I may not know I benefited, but I benefited in exactly. so many ways that I'm now beginning to understand. Like I would think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I never sat my son down and had to have a conversation about what do you do if you get stopped by the police? It never even crossed my mind to have that conversation with him. Every black woman I know had to, and black man had to sit down with their child and say, if you get pulled over, don't reach for the glove box, keep your hands on the wheel, say, yes, sir, no, sir. I, I don't even think I told my son what to do if he got stopped for speeding. Like I, it just didn't even cross my mind. That is like- a, chances are he wouldn't be stopped for speeding. <laughs> exactly. So that was just like a teeny piece of white privilege that I've, I've come to see. But what is the origin of this white privilege? How did it begin? What there, started it? There you See, go. And it comes to your first question. Back yes. to your first question. When you asked me, you said your book begins with the history of slavery. And it seems to me that all our race issues in America trace back to slavery. Can you give us a little history lesson about the origins of slavery and when the white man began to look at slaves as property? I crossed out the word slavery and I put in the word, the origins of racism. See, when you talk about slavery, okay. it's okay. always been slavery. Okay, ah. always, always been. You, it depends on who won the war or who won the fight, who won the struggle, okay? Going back to Rome, when Rome fought Greece, Greece lost. So then Rome had Greek servants, all right? And also, let's talk about doing the Crusades. When the Muslims and the Christians were at each other's throat, if the Christians won, especially in Constantinople, then uh, the Muslims had to convert. So that is in terms of the history of slavery. But at what point in American history did racism evolve? See, and okay. that's different ballgame. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about. When did slavery become institutionalized, meaning when did it become lawful to be black and, and or a man of color in America? When did it become lawful to be able to enslave another person? We'd have to go back to the Philadelphia Convention, 1787, because prior to that time, they have the 1619. I, I, we're pretty much familiar with the 1619. They said when slavery started, the American, the African landed on Jamestown. But I got news for you. There's, according to before the Mayflower, there were Africans in America before the landing of the Mayflower. Matter of fact, in 1607, it was known they were named James and Isabella. They were African slaves. But the whole idea was the idea of indentured servitude. So they, you had indentured servitude. They came with white indentured servants. Yeah, exactly. Every, okay. In other words, there's only two, two kinds of classes in America. Uh, the rich, <laughs> and of course, the middle class, and the indentured servant, okay? And there's a lot of history in this, and I'm just kind of like jumping. 
first black settlers accumulated land, voted, testified in court, mingled with whites on the basis of equality. Did you hear me? That is according to the history of gossip of race and the idea of race in America. They owned other black servants and certain blacks imported and paid for white servants whom they apparently held in servitude. So Gossett says in 1660, the status of Negroes was finally recognized as different from other servants. All Negroes and other slaves shall serve Durante Beta. Beta. Virginia meaning. law was meaning that serving slaves for life. Their whole okay? life. Okay. Yeah. And the act of 1661 imposing penalties on the runaways, it recognized that some Negroes were to be slaves for life. Notice some. It was not until 1670 that Virginia laws specified that all servants, not Christians, who were brought into the colony by sea were to be slaves for life. Now, over 100 years later, this was ratified. Thus, the racism made its way in the constitutional convention in Philadelphia in 1787. And what was that? Inserted with three clauses that would return this great document from a great blessing to a curse. The conveners of the Philadelphia Convention agreed in writing to count three-fifths of the state slave population. Three-fifths. Now I'm going to do something so you can see this. There's five fingers. Three-fifths. Three out of five counted as one vote. In other words, a group of five slaves take three of them and it's one vote. The result of that was the House of Representatives is the result of that three-fifths clause that we even celebrate today. In other words, right. the southern states, fearing that the northern states would overpower them, wanted to count their slaves as part of the population. But the white people the got the, the benefit. The, the black people didn't get to vote. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And neither and neither did white women. Right. You hear me? Yeah. So slavery went to being institutionalized and finally ratified as a law. So that was really the beginning of it when a black beginning person of, became a piece of property, not a human being. Correct. By law. Exactly, by law. It became slavery. Notice I said prior to that time, you can go through all the histories of the world history. Slaves were never legislated. Matter of fact, a slave in Rome could become a senator. I still remember the, the toga, all right? Or many of them were incorporated into the household. Even in Africa, it was the same thing. Uh, slaves were, were in the process, but they all had rights as human beings. But only in America that it became institutionalized that we had no We were property. We were chattel, capital, used and count for votes, used as for payment of property taxes. So that was the institution of institutionalized racism in America. Okay, so that was the beginning of the dehumanization. Now it became legal. Black man has no rights that I, who is it, Marshall, that I should recognize, or a man of color, the Native Americans. We take hundreds of years of this thinking that begins to seep into the culture in, in every dimension. How did it go 
to becoming a mental, racism becoming a mental illness. So it is systemic, it is in the laws, it is in all of our institutions. At what point did you begin to think, okay, this looks like a mental illness? Okay, racism is a disease. In it, the title says racism is a thought disorder, a personality disorder, a mental illness. The racist and his behavior in America would meet the criteria for 301-81, narcissistic personality disorder, according to the DSM-4, which is not a DSM-5 edition. It is delusional, thinking that you are superior than another human being. What I would like for some clarification is, you're not saying that all white people have the mental illness of racism, but the system itself is disordered in its premise and its and I, yes and its continuation. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And as I said before, uh, you are the dominated group and you get rights, you get privileges that are denied to other human beings who don't look like you. What you're saying, they are less than in that process. Therefore, they don't deserve what you get. And you go anywhere in the world, and it's very interesting. An American who goes to Europe is looked on as an American. He's not looked on as white. Even me, I go to Europe. I'm looked on as an American. And that's one of the reasons why people like James Baldwin, many of the jazz musicians, and many of the people went to Europe because they were looked on as human beings. The system has perpetuated and on which it's built, is built on delusion. So people who participate in that delusion can be delusional, although there's nothing wrong with me. Well, listen, the diagnostic criteria for narcissistic personality. Okay. You know that that's not rational. No. That's the thinking, but that's the thinking of a slave. We're taking that in his mind. Not saying that that's what, but Colville is saying this is what's or when you look at the plantation system. So we talk about, let's make America great again. And I say the only time America was great again is two occasions, when it fought England, the Civil War, and the Second World War, when it rose against fascism. The rest of its history is questionable. It's, you know, what's happening, what happened during the Civil Rights Movement, what's happened in the last year in America is people are starting to see the truth. And once the light is shined So let's that, continue. Okay. So when you look at your white privilege, has a sense of entitlement, i.e. unreasonable expectations, especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectation, is interpersonally exploitative, i.e. takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own end. Opportunist, yes. The classic, unless I perceive it, it doesn't. I have nothing wrong with me. I'm not, you're the racist. You're the person. Right. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. So those are the hallmarks of a narcissistic personality. But that is the hallmarks of the racist who moves in that realm. I did this in 1993. I could go on and on, but I just gave you the prototype of the racist of the 
century, 18th and but it's still the same. Yeah, has prototype of the races. So this is 400 years. So questions. Well, I think this might be a good place for us to wrap up this podcast. And then when we get to the next podcast, begin to talk about the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, let's say the 12 steps and how we can begin to bust out of this, not just for the people who are victimized, the black people, because they're the victims of racism, but how can white people begin to use these same 12 steps as a way to recover from racism? Can we do that in the next go round? Are you up for that? Sure we can, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because Deacon Radcliffe, this has been an extraordinary history lesson. And I'm embarrassed to say, like many white people, I didn't know a lot of the origins of our laws came from slavery until the last year. So, and I consider myself to be a very curious, open-minded, progressive white person. I learned things in your book I did not know. So I think, you know, this education is so important for white people to have. Because a lot, of, I mean, when I would talk to my black friends, they're like, yeah, we've been knowing that. My black friends learned that from their grandmothers and grandfathers and parents. We sure didn't learn any of this in school. I mean, so. You didn't learn you, any of it in his, you didn't learn any of it in his story. His history is his story, but it's not my story. Gotcha. Okay. I wasn't sure any of the reference. It's his story built on a delusion. Okay. So when you refer in your book to history and then you put in parentheses his story, it means it's not my story. As a Black person, that's not my story. That's his story. And that is what we were taught in school is the man, the white man. That's why you don't. Notice, and not only that, the white man, but also as our ancestors called the white man, the so-called white man. Ah, so-called, yes. yeah, so-called, because there's only one race. But let's take a break. You want to take a break? Okay. That's Thank perfect, uh, Deacon Radcliffe. You have been an amazing teacher, and I want you to come back and join us again on Alma. Am I racist? Thank you. My pleasure. We appreciate you listening today to Alma Am I Racist? Share it with a friend if they're of the same mindset. And you can hear more of our podcasts. Go to almaamiracist.com or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Join us again next week when we talk to Deacon Kenneth Radcliffe, the author of the book, The Disease of Racism, Applying the Alcoholics Anonymous Principles to the Disease of Racism. And if you'd like to get your own signed copy of Deacon Radcliffe's book, you can go to theisaiahproject.name. I'm Lisa Smith Henderson, and thanks for listening.